Loving God, by the gift of your spirit, teach us like Mary to treasure your words and ponder them in our hearts. Through Jesus Christ, your word made flesh. Amen. Can I get a little bit more sound here just for, on account of my voice? <clears throat> so perhaps you've heard of the late, great children's writer, Maurice Sendak. He's most famous for his classic, Where the Wild Things Are. He's quirky, one of our family's favorites. There we go. Sandak was the child of Jewish immigrants from Eastern Europe. And in a recent collection of his artwork, Sandak says the two biggest influences in his life, in his childhood, growing up, were Mickey Mouse and his bearded, stern-looking maternal grandfather, Mickey Mouse and Grandpa. Mickey's influence makes sense. He was everywhere in the 1930s, but Sendak had never actually seen his grandfather. His grandfather died back in the old country, so he'd never actually seen him in person. But there was an old black-and-white photo of him on the wall in their living room of their tiny family home. Sendak said that the image burned itself into his brain, so much so that the young Maurice believed that this is what God looked like. The photo of this old, gray-bearded man was the approximate likeness of the Almighty, the creator of the universe. Now, most of us probably didn't grow up with a photo of an old Yiddish guy hanging on our, in our living rooms, but some of us grew up hearing the word God and imagined something like Sendak's grandfather, a bearded old man who maybe lives in the sky somewhere. Or some of us were raised in strict or judgmental households, so pictured a harsh authoritarian figure, maybe an ogre ready to, ready to punish at the drop of a hat. Still, some of us may have imagined God like our own parents, maybe distant or uninterested. A well-meaning idea, perhaps, but ultimately irrelevant as we grew up into maturity. But regardless of the image that comes to our minds, the images of God, the divine, the source of all things, it's usually dictated by our growing up. And we're not unique. The great 19th century German philosopher Ludwig Feuerbach you knew you'd be encountering Ludwig Feuerbach on Christmas Eve, of course. <laughs> Dismissed the concept of God altogether as a projection of human feeling onto an incomprehensible universe. Like the young Maurice Sendak, we humans throughout history have thought about the divine and imagined something like ourselves, or at least somebody we know. So our image of God tends to look like us and what's important and influential to us, which actually is what makes the Christmas story all the more interesting. Because the Christmas story sees God differently than a God we might just imagine. So following the birth of Jesus, the story tells us that some angels drop in on some shepherds to share the news. And the angels make this announcement to the shepherds. 
Do not be afraid, they say. Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. Good news, they say. A Savior, the Lord. God is about to touch down in your geographical neighborhood. Now, when these shepherds heard the word Savior and Lord, they wouldn't have immediately thought of a manger baby. They would have thought of Caesar. They would have thought of the Roman emperor who held both titles, Savior and Lord. Caesar who ruled the known world. They would have assumed that the word God would have meant someone like him. Someone or something strong, powerful, ready to subdue enemies through pure, overwhelming might. Caesar. That's the image of God the shepherds are working with when they hear this announcement. That's the image of God they're working with, Caesar. But here's where the surprise to them comes in. The angels continue. This will be a sign for you, they say. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. A child wrapped in cloth, sleeping in a manger. This is the Lord, the Savior of the world. So the shepherds expected something and someone else. Caesar's the image of God they're working with. But no, here, a baby in rags, spending the night in straw, the Christmas story says, this is the image of the invisible God. The source of all things has come to light. Then this nobody, born to a couple of other nobodies in the middle of backwoods nowhere, born fleshy, defenseless, lives shortly, dies violently, rises unexpectedly. The Christmas story says that this is who God is and what God's like. This is what God's up to in the world, and it's really nothing like Caesar at all. It's surprising, and it's weird. It's strange to us as the shepherds who first heard it, but the Christmas story says that in this child's eyes, we stare deep into the mystery at the heart of the universe. And all of our other images, whether Caesar or Granddaddy Sendak, are, at best, derivative or incomplete, damaging or downright dangerous and wrong at their worst. They're wrong. Now, it's Christmas Eve, so obviously I don't know all of you. So I don't know the image of the sacred or the divine that you've been shaped by. Maybe an old photo of a relative, like Maurice Sendak. I mean, I was shaped by the Black Sabbath song, War Pigs. I mean, if you know that song, <laughs> growing up. It could be worse, actually, but anyway. Or maybe the image of God you grew up with was a cruel, an oppressive source of anxiety. Maybe the God you grew up with was nice, but ultimately irrelevant and unbelievable. Or maybe you didn't grow up with God at all, and the only image of God you ever had were believers like me, 
who didn't make God look good in the first place. I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word God. But what I do know is that this is the image of God we're working with as a community of faith. This is the image of God we're wrestling with in this church. The image of God that comes to us on the lips of an angel. The one who says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. At the manger, we meet a God who is not far away from us, off in heaven only, but one who joins us in the world, on the ground, in the fleshy struggle of our daily lives. At the manger, we meet a God whose power lies not in might, control, or dominating strength, but whose power comes in vulnerable, self-giving, sacrificial love. At the manger, we meet a God whose heart is not only for those on the top of our world, but has a preferential option for the poor, the outcasts, the homeless, and the dispossessed. A God whose politics are compassion, whose mission is mercy, and whose reputation is built on a bottomless forgiveness that never runs out. A God who knows what your suffering is like, a God knows your shame and your heartache because he's not only been there, done that, but in doing so, he has healed it and redeemed it for good. I don't know the image of God you're working with, but the wonderful thing about Christmas is that we're given the image of the divine, an image of the divine that's so unlike other images that we could dream up. One that blows most other images away, especially the ones that drain life from us rather than give life to us. So, <clears throat> so, no matter what comes to your mind when you hear the word God, my prayer for you this night, our prayer for you as a community of faith, is that maybe the next time you hear this word, what comes to mind is the one who we meet at the manger the one who we meet on a cross, the one we meet yet again this night together in music and in song. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards all men and women alike. Amen.